entrepreneurship's hard. I don't care. I don't care which way you slice it. I'm sick of fucking people pretending that it's easy. Oh, make a million dollars in 30 minutes, become an overnight success. Fuck off. I'll show you the 27 years of work that person did to have the knowledge to be able to do that. God, what a reflective moment. you guys welcome back to another episode of light it up podcast we are super excited to have with us today george bryant he's a marketing and customer journey expert george is a new york Times best-selling author and highest paid digital marketing consultant in the world by teaching his relationships beat algorithms approach to business but as we were preparing here george told me that he thinks that this bio is trash and uh <laughs> yeah. i want you to give your own bio george yeah, I hate those things because I feel like they're just a ton of lip service and surface bullshit because they don't really matter. Uh, if you were to ask me who I am, I'd say today I'm like a, a B plus dad, an A minus husband and like a C plus entrepreneur uh, authentically. And so I, I think too many people get wrapped up in the identity and accolades and all this bullshit that means nothing about who I am as a human or an entrepreneur or any reason I'm successful. And so, yeah, if the accolades come up, great. If they add value, great. But I don't think people are interested in hearing about people's highlight reels. I think they're more interested in like how they operate and how they tick. And that's what I'm obsessed about. So I did all that. I used to be a food blogger, but I, I now focus on, you know, I trademarked the phrase relationship beat algorithms, but I obsess about spending every ounce of my time and day helping people build million, multi-million and billion dollar businesses by loving customers, doing it the right way and playing the long game. And I own 11 companies of my own. One of them will do 150 million this year at the top end. And my low one will do 8 million this year. And I do that with like a team of three people and I've been doing this for like 18 years. And so I focus on relationships and mindset and customer journey and like bringing values back into business. And it just so happens a byproduct is people make a fuck ton of money doing it and they can sleep at night and it's perfect. And so I'd say that's my intro for today. That one feels good. Yeah, yeah that, that one felt really good. <laughs> it's a hell of a lot better than what I was doing. Yeah, right. There's, it's funny because a lot of people that we, we know that are super, super successful they're motivated by what you just gave, right? Like the father, husband, and um, the accolades only take you so far, but it doesn't push you to, to drive to be better or be bigger. Because it's yeah, I, and I and I think I was gifted with perspective very early, and I'm glad that you said that because you know I only teach what I teach because I did it all wrong, right? Like I didn't I didn't start this way. I did it all wrong. I was the upsell guy, the transaction guy, close bigger deals, being the best closer. I just it took me years to realize the collateral damage that I faced. But here's the crazy thing is on the vision board, I had it, right? Give me my 2022 M5 competition. Give me my Lamborghini. Give me my boat. Give me my houses. I had all of it. And the more I had, the unhappier I was. And I realized that there was nothing underneath it. And, and, and I, I relate it to like world champions, right? Like you can always tell when a fighter, the moment they win their first title fight, their post-fight interview tells you if they're about to win or lose. Yeah. And you know instantly, and you can bet on it based on what they say. Because if they say, I made it, they are going to fucking lose. If they say, I don't care about the win, I'm getting back to work, they are guaranteed to win. Yeah. So you're right? obviously a fan of Relentless. Tim's a great guy. That that mindset in general, man, I'm just a fan of consistency, yeah. right? Like, you know, one of my teachers, um, he's absolutely incredible. He used to be, he was one of my teachers now. He's one of my students, but he's responsible for 78 gold medals in the Olympics, right? He's Tiger Woods coach, Lance Armstrong coach, Phil Mixon's coach. He's an Olympian himself and he's a mindset coach. And the thing that he has grilled into my brain for like 12 years is the concept of temperance. And he's like, what you don't understand about winners is winners never empty their gas tank. They live at 70% until it matters. And he's like, and when it matters, they sprint. 
And when they're done, they come right back to 70. They don't dip to 30. They don't dip to 20. But entrepreneurs like to live in the red line and then they dip back to zero and they don't understand the value of consistency. Mm. And in this game, we lose focus on the things that move the needle with distraction because we're not being consistent with those behaviors. And that's where people lose. We try to give too much because we, we, we shorten our measurement windows, right? We're like, oh, I want to build this business that's around for 20 years, but I'm measuring my conversions in a week and yeah. I'm making my business decisions based on that, right? And so it ends up creating this cesspool of shit. And so for me, you know, of course, being like rabidly committed to what you want to do, like having a passion for it, like you have to be willing to do what you do as an entrepreneur for free if you want any chance of success. Because if you're not willing and have the drive, then you won't make it when your back's against the wall. So that, of course, is there. But deeper than that, it's like if you tell me every day for six months that you want to lose 40 pounds, but yet you haven't gone for a 10 minute walk, I'm not interested in what you have to say. Because if you really wanted to lose 20 pounds, you would just go for a 10 minute walk every day. Right. And so, you know, for me boiling down, I think the, the mindset of like relentless and winning and all those, they're incredible. But I think to simplify it down even more is that entrepreneurship is a gamble, but it's really only a gamble until you've taken as many base hits or swings as required to learn when to swing. And so the more consistent you are over a greater span of time, the more likely your success is going to come and the faster you're going to achieve it. And it's also measurable. And so I am a massive proponent for that. Yeah. There's so much in there that's so golden that you don't realize until like right now, and I'm just going to give an analogy because I don't even know how to explain it because of how good that is. When you go to hire a coach, right? A lot of coaches are out there and there's literally a company that's called Imify, something like that, where you can pay, pay $3,000 and they give you a bunch of uncopyrighted books and you could brand it with your own name and then you could preach yeah. what you, whatever you want. You're preaching customer service and delivering a quality service to the client. And that's with an integrity, right? Within yeah. that vision itself. So when you're coaching that to someone else, you have to have that within your own self. So yep. that way somebody can actually trust what you're teaching and actually how it works. Percent. But if you're going to another coach that's just strictly teaching sales tactics, they're essentially using sales tactics on you, but you don't know if the integrity part is there. You don't know if actually what they're teaching man. you is working. A thousand percent, man. And listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this and people are going to fucking hate me. But I think one of the biggest like epidemics for entrepreneurs is this addiction to consumption. Yeah. And it's prevalent everywhere. And here's the truth. And this is going to hurt when I say it. My goal is not for you to listen to my podcast. My goal is for you to listen, get the fuck off of it and never need to listen again. Because that means you're working. That means you're implementing, right? Because at the end of the day, when you're consuming content, you're building my vision. When you're creating content, you're building your own. And I watch entrepreneurs struggle for years because they learn the science, but then they try to express the art as somebody else because they're so addicted to consuming that they end up becoming versions of everybody else and hating what they do and make the game so much harder, right? Like at the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, I don't care if you're in an industry that's been around forever, like realty, or you're in one that's not been around forever. If you have a vision, no one's ever built it before. So no one can give you a roadmap. There is no clarity on how you should love your wife or how you should date your husband. I can give you the science, but the art is up to you and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to learn. But entrepreneurs have to recognize the same thing. And for me, the only reason I'm successful is because when I lost it all the first time, second time, (laughs) second of three, when I lost it all for the second time, God, what a reflective moment. (laughs) But when when I lost it all for the second time, And I was really reflecting on what mattered and what was important. 
Oh, sorry, man. Give me a minute. That brought up some emotions. No worries, man. No, you're good. I was on a podcast right before this, and and, and this will lend some relevance. And I talk about a lot of stuff, and I'm really passionate about it. But I, I get pissed off when people think it's easy, right? When they're like, oh, you've made it. It's easy. Yeah. And uh, not many people know this, but in March of 2020, I was clearing like $500,000 a month in clear cash flow, right? Like I was living in a dream. And by May of 2020, I was losing 80 grand a month. And I lost everything three and a half years ago again. And I've rebuilt to eight new companies and a whole nother multi-million dollar business since then. And I was just sitting about like, oh, and I felt that for a moment and I got a little emotional. Yeah. Um, I don't even remember my train of thought, so I guess it wasn't a good one. So I'm going to stop it. Well, one thing I'll say is that success is failing forward with enthusiasm, not stopping moving forward. And For sure, man. For sure. Yeah. For, and whoever for sure. said it, it I, says the first million is difficult, the second is inevitable. So it's the skills that you developed out of there is worth significantly more than the income there. But it's the sacrifice yeah. you have to make with the people around you at that time is what sucks. Yeah, man. And you know what's interesting? Like, you know when you hear these lessons, right? Like we hear it all the time. We talk about it, right? The first million's easy. The second one's inevitable, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, boom. It was so easy to hear that when I was in it, but so hard to understand until I was through it, right? Mm -hmm. In hindsight, looking back, I can literally see the hundred decisions I could have made that would make me a trillionaire today. But of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And so in, in reflection, I couldn't have actually made those decisions. But one of the things that I believe to be so true, my buddy Alex Sharfin summarizes this so well. And, and he said this to me like eight years ago, and I never understood it till now. And he said, most people don't recognize they don't have the business they want because they haven't become the person to run that business. And you know, it sounds really good on paper, right? It sounds very woo-woo, very esoteric. You're like, oh yeah, that's fucking great. Let me go, you know, manifest my way in. But what I realized underneath it, and Benjamin Hardy wrote a book about this called Personalities Impermanent, is that I was stuck for so long because I was like, okay, I haven't become the person. Well, what does that person do? I didn't know what that meant. I didn't recognize that all I had to do was pull out three behaviors that that person would exhibit and bring them into my current purview. Right. And so one of the concepts that Benjamin Hardy teaches about changing your personality, your defaults is that like you have to invest in the level of your future self, not only in money, but also in behavior. Right. And it's like if you want to become a marathoner, you can either train to run a marathon and you'll never keep running or you can change your lifestyle to become a runner and you'll keep running. Right. One is like a goal and one is like a behavior change and an entrepreneurship I struggled for so long and I watch people struggle because they try to change behaviors with to-do lists in the same bucket that they created in, right? They don't come up and get off the field, right? And so the analogy I use is the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick analogy, right? In the very early stages of entrepreneurship, you're Bill, I mean, you're Tom Brady and you're only Tom Brady. You live on the field, you're the star quarterback, right? But the moment you start to scale, you have to also become Bill Belichick and you have to make calls on when you should be Tom Brady and when you should be Bill Belichick. The challenge is, is that most entrepreneurs try to make decisions as Bill Belichick while they're still on the field as Tom Brady yeah. and they can't see it, right? The behavior has to be different. But if you try to change the behavior in the same thing, you can't get out of it, right? Yeah. So if you study NLP, they teach the seven logical levels of the brain. And they're like, if you're stuck here, you can't ever change it on the level that you're on. You have to go above and below it, just like in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Nothing above the base is achieved if you don't have food, water, and shelter, yeah. right? And so when you're stuck in that of like, oh, I've been stuck at $750,000 of revenue, if you try to get unstuck, you're going to end up back there because your level of thinking 
is capped at that level because you're in that bucket. So you either have to have a creative process to do some divergent thinking, right? Of like, what would it look like? Or have an outlet of ideas or something so you can change at a different level than the one that you're on. Does that make sense? Yeah. And totally. also levels, levels of leverage too, right? A thousand percent, a thousand percent, right? Because like with working out, the example I tried it, because, and listen, let me just tell everybody, I think I'm fucking stupid. Let me just say that across the board, okay? I was a Marine for 13 years. Like if I can do this, you can do this, okay? Like there's three colors of crayons in my box, black, white, and pink. That's how I, I relate to it, right? But if, if you take this concept of like working out, right? A lot of people understand that like when they're working out, like if they're on a run, when they hit that point where they want to quit, they recognize that every step that they push, they're growing and getting stronger, right? It doesn't feel good. You don't want to do it, but you know what the payoff is at the end, right? Yeah. And we know what's there, right? And so as entrepreneurs, what we don't recognize is that we're like the best professional athletes in the world in the hardest sport. We get punched in the face a thousand times a day. <laughs> and then when we get punched, instead of pushing through the workout, we're like, oh, I don't want to work out today, right? And here's what happens. Atrophy is very, very real. And a lot of people don't recognize it, but a lot of people don't know. Like if I was to go run one mile at a seven minute pace today, and I ran that same mile every day for seven minutes in a year, do you think I would get stronger or weaker? Stronger. Weaker. Weaker because you're staying at the yes, same pace. Yes, because the mile becomes my new baseline. And because I never adjust it, it becomes my body's norm. And without the stimulus, it gets weaker and weaker and weaker. So I actually get weaker than when I started. Right. And so in entrepreneurship, people get trapped in this finish line. Right. Oh, when I get that funnel up, when I get that offer up, when I have that content strategy, thinking that once it's up, it's going to last forever. So they get into this habit of keeping their blinders on and never changing their behaviors to the equivalent of running a mile a day. Yeah. And so when you think about it in every area, whether it's fitness or whether it's your content or whether it's your copywriting or whether it's leading your team, you have to adopt the same philosophy and if you want it to win. And so you have to be willing to look at the behaviors so you stretch a little bit, yeah. right? Like for me now, we were joking before we recorded, but it's Thursday and I've recorded 24 podcasts this week. And you were joking after two, you're tired. Well, I remember six years ago, I would do one in a day and I couldn't do one for a week. And now I'll do 40 and they fill my bucket, yep. right? But it's just a muscle that's just been flexed and flexed and flexed to increase my capacity. Yep. And so what I find, and I found for myself, is that in the early stages of entrepreneurship for me, the only time I ever changed my behaviors was when something broke and forced me to. I didn't recognize that I could take a proactive approach and eliminate all the atomic bombs if I looked at it daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, right? And so books like Atomic Habits or Personality Isn't Permanent, right? Or reading Clockwork by Mike Michalowicz and identifying your queen bee roles or your needle movers and building habits around those, irregardless of behavior, right? It's really about looking at our job, like our entrepreneurship, our business, like we're Tom Brady, but also Bill Belichick and we own the team. Yeah. And it's a game, right? You don't win every game. You don't complete every pass. But as long as you keep playing, you will learn and call different plays. Yeah. And so I think that's a really important thing for people to understand because I, I got stuck. And, and the one thing I do for me, my one-on-one -on -one clients, my events, like the reason I do them every 90 days is because 90 days are like the perfect sprints for like a, here's where I was for 90 days. Okay. Behavior change. Here's where I'm going. Right. Yeah. And it's just this constant, like, I think about my life, like objectively, like I look at it, like I'm watching myself and I think about myself as my own personal trainer. And so when I'm in like the podcast bucket, I'm like, okay, 
I can do three podcasts a day. That's easy. What would stretch me a little bit and make me stronger? I'm like, all right, well, let me try to do four. And sometimes I keep it. Sometimes I don't, right? But the willingness to adjust is what really makes you dangerous as an entrepreneur because it makes you fast. It makes you agile. It increases your confidence. And then it gives you baselines and measurables of like, okay, I'm in control, right? This is going to happen. I'm going to lose my best client. I'm not going to get that point. I'm going to have to give two points off to get the close for the family. Like these things are going to happen. We know they're going to happen. So instead of pretending they're not, and then when they do freezing, recognize that they're coming. And when they do, what behavior would I change? What can I do differently? And it's just a muscle. And the way that I think, if you make more choices from who you want to be every day, than you do make choices reacting to who you used to be. You're going to win. And the more you flex that, the easier it gets. Just like the first month back at the gym after you became a fucking dad bod for three years and got lazy, right? My my son was like three and a half and my wife's like, hey, dad bod territory, we're kind of past the expiration date. (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean? Am I past sympathy weight too? And she's like, I had it. I had an eight pack six months after he was born and you're fucking fat. And I'm like, oh, got it. I know know what you're saying, right? And, and so you just got to be willing to recognize what it is. And, and, and listen, entrepreneurship's hard. I don't care. I don't care which way you slice it. I'm sick of fucking people pretending that it's easy. Oh, make a million dollars in 30 minutes, become an overnight success. Fuck off. I'll show you the 27 years of work that person did to have the knowledge to be able to do that, right? Yeah. Like this is work. Entrepreneurship is one of the greatest gifts that we could give to humanity because it's therapy on a platter every day. Yeah. And the way that I see it is every challenge is like a check engine light, right? And if I'm willing to look at it, I can pretty much diagnose my growth and guarantee my success. And I only lose when I pretend it's not there. When I have anxiety and I'm like, oh, I'll do the podcast anyways, or I'm scared to do the keynote and I do it anyways without acknowledging what's there. And so it's just this practice of like self-integrity and recognizing that like, for lack of better terms, this is my fucking F1 car that was issued to me, but I've never taken the time to read the owner's manual. And I'm going to pretend that when I have anxiety, I know what the code is. And then I get upset that I make a decision that led to a result I didn't like. Can't do that. You know, this is uncharted territory in terms of, you know, I know John had to prep the whole list of things that he wanted to dive in with you. But I think this is so important because this is 90% (laughs) of everything, right, of how everybody operates. The the one thing that you mentioned that's that's resonating so much with me is, uh, have you ever read the book, The Principles of Living or The Twelve Principles of Living by Jordan Patterson? Sure have. Or Peterson? And yeah, the, 12 rules of life, 12 rules of life. There you go. And, and I, and then the but, next one is beyond order. Good yeah. Book as and well. I'm like, but it's, it's a hit hard because he was talking about the people who are uh, getting organ transplants and how they don't take care of them all, their own self. But if they had to take care of a pet, they would take care of them. Yeah. And only a third yep. would, and whatever the case may be, you almost gave yourself an alter ego where you're being the trainer. So that way you can feel deserving to treat yourself uh-huh. that way. Right. Yeah. But a lot of people don't percent. see that. Uh, and that's like a biggest hurdle. Like the Belichick, the Belichick and, and Brady analogy, are, are you sort of, is it sort of like inter- integrator and, and visionary? It's one way to put it. I think for me to way to summarize it, like my, one of my big like hammer home that I help my clients with is that like understanding that you've won the game when awareness is the finish line, right? Because the moment you have an awareness of the whole situation, make a choice, right? You've won because there's no predictability past that point, right? So when I think about the Belichick, the Brady, I think about the core functions of the business, right? And most entrepreneurs that start, start by being the talent or having the answer or having the offer. But once it hits a point where it's not just them and they need to hire a team member or put in a process or outsource something, 
they get stuck in that I'm still the quarterback role. And then they're trying to run the plays of the other positions at the same time because they haven't recognized that before they choose to be Tom Brady, they have to make sure that that's the best way to use their time. Yeah. Right. So in the early stages, everybody's always a doer, even if you're a visionary. Even if you're a visionary in the beginning, you have a vision. Typically, you're doing as an entrepreneur to get that vision off the ground, right? Right. And, and so it's just recognizing that in order for a company to be effective, a team to be effective, you can't just have players on the field without oversight, right? You can't just have workers all day without supervision. But if you've been the only worker and then now you have to work and supervise, you have to be able to separate that. Yeah. In either environmental design, in capacity, in practice, in in planning out your days. Like one of my buddies, uh, I love how he builds his week. He owns three separate ten plus million dollar companies. They're all e commerce brands. So Monday is company one, Tuesday is company two, Wednesday is company three, Thursday is his floater day, and then he does Friday, Saturday, Sunday the same thing, and then the next Monday is his floater day, and that's how he loves running them. And he scales them all at the same time, but he will not work on the other companies if it's not on that day because he needs to stay focused. Right. And so when you're on the field, it's hard to call a play as the coach at the same time. And so as entrepreneurs, we have to recognize that our decisions, our behaviors have to be intentional because if I can't measure my behavior, I don't know why I'm doing it. It's just a liability. Right. And so if I've been Tom Brady, my whole career, right, I'm, I'm doing content, I'm running Instagram, I'm writing emails, I'm building funnels. And now I have a team member And I'm like, here's how we're going to do it. And I tell them every way we're going to do it. I've lost because I didn't pause. I didn't take their ideas in. I didn't ask if there was another way. I just assumed my way because it used to work was now the only other way. So now I'm going to hire two or three team members to support me in doing it the same way with an expectation that it's going to grow, but it's actually going to do less revenue. Yeah, atrophy. And so what ends up happening is then I dilute some of it and I offset it to my team, but I keep my same vision. And so it costs me more money and then I lose the gap because that offer wasn't going to work because it changed. Because now I have team members involved. My role's a little bit different. We're growing. That play doesn't work anymore. And every time I try to run it, I will lose until I see that it has to be run differently. That's the best way I can explain it. Yeah. Yeah. The one perspective you could think of it is like this. It's like uh, Ray Dalio says, have like a, a, a true sense of like reality right now, what's going on around you so you can make the decision moving forward. So it's like the astronaut that's traveling to the moon. It's on track for only 7% of the time that's there. So yeah, you have I to, love that quote. Yeah, And you have to kind of analyze where you're going. So that way it's like, George is saying it's like a journey. The people who think it's a destination are the ones that will step back because yeah. they think that's where the goal was. Yeah. And so like for me, like I like, and I love that quote, like Elon said this once, he's like, well, why do you say you're going to get there in a year? He's like, because if I say I'm going to get there in a year and he says he's going to get there in 10 years, no yeah. matter what, in a year, I'm going to be further than he ever was. Right? right. And it's this, this like powerful, powerful quote. And it's such a powerful process because when you really, really boil down to it, business gets really, really complicated. Cause at the end of the day, if I was to even look at both of your businesses, just the podcast, right? There are only three things that you guys do with this podcast that attribute to 80% of its success. Right. But yet what'll happen is we'll end up with 85 other items on our to-do list every day that feel so fucking important. And we are so convinced that our business is going to go out if we don't fix them. But what we failed to recognize is that by focusing on these, it stopped us from doing one of those core behaviors that made it work. Right. And then that starts to tail in. And so you have to be able to recognize that the noise is going to increase the chatter, right? I tell everybody, it's like you shake a snow globe. The snow is going to come in more and more and you have to have the awareness to really synthesize that snow. Like what's mine? What do I need? What can I let go? 
because as you expand, the amount of information that comes in changes, right? Like when you're selling an offer to 100 people a month, it's, it's fun. I was like, oh, I want to scale. Most of the reason people can't scale and they tell me they want to scale, like somebody will come to me like, George, I'm doing a million dollars a year. I'm ready to scale. And so then I'll be like, okay, cool. And I'll show them what it would look like if I added in 100 customers a week and it would put them out of business yeah. and they don't see it yet. So they've been spending the last six months trying to come up with strategies to scale. But yet, if they achieve that goal, it would have put them out of business. So here's what's funny. I came in, we fixed the back end to be able to maintain what happened. And what do you think happened on the front end? Naturally grew and supported everything else. There wasn't space for anybody else to come in, but they couldn't see it because all they were focusing on was acquisition. We needed to hire a customer service rep. We had to separate like two funnels out and we had to change something. It took like three hours and it added like a half a million dollars of revenue to their business. That's awesome. And then we went to acquisition and then it worked, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's just understanding that you can't always just be the player on the field. Yeah. There was one quote, and I'll get into this question right after that. There's this one quote that says uh, in military strategies, right? The amateurs focus on strategies, the professionals focus on logistics. So where are we gonna actually set camp? How are we gonna get water? How are we gonna get food? And then after that, they focus on strategies of how to attack the enemy. Thousand but without that, you can't percent. focus on strategies. My question to you is this, as we're talking about this, and reflecting, if you had to take us back to the second failure you were talking about, having yeah. a, a true sense of reality in that moment, what were some behaviors that you were doing that you think attributed to that? Yeah, man. Um, luckily, luckily, I'd lost before and I'd lost hard already, right? So I, I'd lost at a very big level before that. And so it was that kind of lesson you alluded to earlier where the first million was hard, the second million was inevitable. But when you lose it all and you still have an $80,000 a month overhead and you have no money coming in, that second million doesn't feel inevitable, no matter how much I believe it, right? And how much I know it to be true in my soul, it doesn't feel that way when you have kids and a wife and, you know, like 30 employees who are relying on you. I didn't give a shit how much I believed it. It didn't matter. And I had to rely on environment and behaviors. And so in my experience, I knew that when I had situations like this, I always lost in the past when I made a decision too early, right? When I reacted, right? If something breaks, I'm like, fix it right away, right? And so things broke. And the easy thing for me to do was to pick up the phone and start selling, right? Okay, I'll sell consulting, I'll do what? And I had listened to myself enough to know, and, and this is gonna sound fucking crazy, but this is what I do. I was in complete emotional shutdown. It was March of 2020. And I said, okay, cool. I want you to go, and this was to myself, I, I prescribed myself a workout and I said, I'm gonna go hike. And I was living at my house in Mammoth. I was at 10,000 feet in the Sierra Nevada mountains. And I was like, I'm gonna hike every day until I get clarity. Mm. And I made a rule. And the goal was walk out until I get clarity and then walk home. And I did it every day and it took 31 days. And on day 31, I was like, I need to launch a podcast. Now, you're both entrepreneurs. Do you think you replace $500,000 a month in revenue by launching a <laughs> podcast from the ground up? Uh, no. Hell no. <laughs> no. Go negative even more. Yeah. So what do you think my clarity was? I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. You are dumb. And so I just sat with it. And every time I sat with it, it went back to the podcast. It went back to the podcast and I didn't understand it. And I was like, fuck it. I'll launch a podcast. I'd owned the microphone because I bought it eight years prior. I bought it. So I'd launch a podcast and I launched the Mind of George show. What I didn't recognize is the reason I had to launch the show is because I needed to talk about what I was going through to get clarity on what I was doing next. Mm. And I couldn't catch it. So I launched the podcast. And at like day 35, I had an idea. And at this point, I think I was getting like 39 
downloads an episode. Now, and, and I'm not joking, one of the best marketers in the world, but I've been off the internet for five years. I don't exist on social. We came back during COVID, right? So I'm starting over across the board. 39, 40 downloads. I was like, oh, I got an idea. I'm going to tell everybody on the podcast, I want to do a Zoom call and I want to ask them what's broken in their business to see if I can help. And a hundred people showed up. And so I asked them questions for a half an hour and I was like, tell me what's here. They're like, well, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. I'm like, all right, cool. And I started writing answers. I was like, okay, well, we could do this. We could do this. And I was like, all right, cool. And I briefed everybody. I'm like, okay, if I could record this for you, would this be valuable? And they're like, yeah. I was like, cool. I will make this tonight if you guys will buy it. So how many of you want to buy it? And of the 100 people, 98 people said yes. And I said, the first person that throws me at a fair number is the price. And someone's like 500 bucks. And I was like, done. And I was like, how many of you will pay right now? And they're like, I will. I was like, hold on. I went to Sam Cart. I made an order form. Yeah. I went in Zoom and 98 of them paid me $500 that night. And the next day I spent seven hours recording the videos that they outlined for me. And that first podcast that I did that 33 days in with 39 listeners made me like a hundred grand. And then I just continued from there and I started rebuilding over and over and over and over and over again. And so the lesson for me, and it took me a long time to recognize this, is that when I set my goal to have clarity, I can't question the path that's going to get me there, right? Like if I knew how, I'd already be there. So for me, it's like if this is where I want to go and I'm looking for clarity and I have this idea that keeps coming up over and over, there's a reason. Yeah. And it doesn't mean it might be the idea forever, but I have to try it because something in there has my next step. And this game boils down to self-trust, right? Like no matter where you are, no matter what's happening, every human listening to this has been in a moment in their life where if they remember that moment, they could have sworn that their whole life was over. Whether it was a divorce, a breakup, a death, a bankruptcy, like we could have sworn in that moment that we would never find a way. We would never figure it out. We wouldn't make it, right? But if I was to ask you about that moment now, you'd laugh and you'd be like, oh my God, I see it so clearly. I see it here. I see it here. And for me, the hardest part about setbacks is being integrous with myself because living the life that I've lived of sexual abuse and drug abuse and physical abuse and murder and suicide and being shot and addiction and blown up. Do you really think I can't figure out how to generate a hundred thousand dollars a month in revenue and I've done a million? Of course I can. The hardest part is not believing my own bullshit and holding myself accountable to what I know to be true. Because irregardless, irregardless, I have just as much evidence, if not more evidence to support that this is going to be easy for me than I do to say I can't figure this out. And so what I ask myself when I'm stuck is would I be willing to bet my life if this is the only evidence I had in a court of law? And typically I find action to take very quickly when I ask that question because there's no bullshit left for me to believe. Yeah. It's deep. It's interesting how much NLP, like I'm obsessed with NLP and being able to detach and reframe things is a very, very big important thing to me in my life. It's, it's insane how you've incorporated it in such a way where it's like, it's just, you're thinking of it in those times, which is insane. Yeah. And here's, I'm going to give you a book recommendation. It's a muscle. Here's, here's the craziest part. It's a muscle. That's all it is. Like our autonomic nervous system is a muscle that we can train, but we don't train it. Because when we don't feel good, what do we do? Phones, Netflix, computers, distractions, right? Have you ever done an ice bath? Yeah. Okay. Every second you're in that ice bath, you are training your autonomic nervous system because you are putting yourself willingly into a trigger and sitting in it to condition your nervous system that when it's triggered, you don't have to respond. 
So Scott Carney is an incredible author. I'm going to have him on the show, but he wrote a book called What Doesn't Kill Us Makes Us Stronger First, which was about cold therapy. But then he wrote a second book called The Wedge. And The Wedge is the science and how to train the autonomic nervous system that we're talking about to where in those moments, when I say awareness is the finish line, the only difference is like six months ago when I got hit with a lawsuit from Nerf that was going to cost me like $7 million, everybody in my office panicked. And I smiled and I was like, let's go surfing. And they're like, why? And I'm like, because we still have to make a decision, but we don't have to make it now. Let's go have some fun, right? And the only thing is, is like, I've been hit with that 75 fucking times, right? Like, it's like a common practice thing at this point. So when it comes, it doesn't even bother me anymore, yeah. right? I'm like, oh, experienced this one before, right? And so that muscle you can train, right? And so if you think about any time you've ever been in a conversation with somebody where you had a disagreement, right? And you're letting them share, but as they're speaking, and you are fucking biting your tongue, every moment you choose not to share, you're actually training that muscle because what you're doing is holding the emotion irregardless of how you feel so that you can get clarity and not create collateral damage. And it might not feel like it, but you're fucking winning the game, yeah. right? Because the more you train it, right? Just like with employees, you remember the first correction where like, oh my God, I don't want to be mean to them. And now we're like, we know how to hold space. We know how to empower them. We know how to give them feedback and we're very comfortable with it because we've practiced it. Right. Just like I remember like people joke and I'm like, guys, when I pay, when I pitch my clients, I still sweat like a fucking pig. Like telling somebody to pay you 150 grand for three days. I don't care how successful I am. I'm still that little homeless rascal that doesn't think he made it. Like I still fucking sweat. Right. But I remember the first time I ever made somebody like a $300 offer on a sales call. And I swear to God, I was like, they're never going to say yes. There's no way. And I'm like, I laugh so much now because now I'm like, are you kidding me? Right. Like people Venmo me $300 for tips based on a Venmo, like an Instagram DM. Right. Like, and so this muscle of just practicing it over and over. So that book, the wedge is huge. Right. And and I know who listens to this podcast. I want to tell you right now, realtors, every time a realtor listens to what I say, they literally triple their production, their business or anything because realtors are literally the maestros of relationships, except they do them, most of them accidentally, right? Mm-hmm. When you sure. add intention into your transactional world, your depth alone is your differentiating USP. You yeah. can't even compete, right? My friend Shoshana worked in a brokerage three years ago and now she has 98 agents underneath her. And all we did was train her like we did the right way from the get-go. And now she has brokerages expanding over the country. And I'm like, she just cares about people. All she does is invest in people. None of the rest matters. It doesn't matter about process system. It's all relationships. Yeah. It's so powerful, man. It's, it's huge, but I'd recommend that book. I will definitely check it out. So when, when you say basing it, uh, on intention, like the, the mm-hmm. realtor that you referred to, is that all about just, just being intentional about the relationships you surround yourself with? Yeah. Well, let me explain this a little bit, right? So I have this concept that I, this is like the premise of what I do. I I don't believe that your job should be to find your ideal client. I feel like your job is to create your ideal client. That's my philosophy, right? So if I have a hundred people that want to hire me, right? And I put them in a room on a good day, 5% of them are going to say yes, right? Industry standard, right? So of those hundred, I get five of them. And then if I want to scale, I need to go find a hundred more to get five. Why? Because those other 95% of people are one to 100 touch points away from being my customer. They were interested at some point. So I'll get the five, but then how do I help the rest of them, right? And so the first part of this is on attachment. When companies like Nike exist, their tagline isn't just do it only if you wear my running shoes. (laughs) Just do it only if you buy my shirt. 
on it is not total human optimization. Only if you use our products, only if you take alpha brain, right? Anything that is relevant that adds value is not predicated on a transaction. It's predicated on belonging community or a relationship. Nike CEO just gave a keynote and he said, what you guys fail to get wrong is you think our audience are the people that are out running at 5am every day. Our audience are the people at the light poles cheering them on and feeling inspired that they do it. That's what you don't understand. This isn't about elite athletes. This is about belonging and community. So when you start to understand that, I help people create what I call movements, right? Basically an ethical way to build a cult, to give somebody a home to belong in, irregardless of if they ever pay money to you or not. So my movement is relationship speed algorithms, right? I, I will die on this hill. It's my embodiment. It's my life. And when I say that, one of my marketing laws is that everyone feels valued, whether they give you their credit card or not. I am not in integrity if I say my job is to help entrepreneurs ethically scale only if they give me their credit card. Fuck off. So it starts there. So in the world of realtors, the one of the reason that people lose is because if they're not getting the point, if they're not getting the production, or if they're not getting the deal, they don't want the customer. All I see that is as an opportunity. And so for us, I have this model I teach, which is called the four paths of the peer. This is on my podcast. I've taught about it for free. I'm just going to summarize it really quick. But when somebody comes into your world, there's only one of four things they can do. If you go to a conference and you meet somebody, they can either meet you and never want to talk to you again, meet you and want to learn more about you, meet you and automate some form of a relationship or meet you and buy something from you. They hit your website. They're going to bounce. They're going to click through a couple pieces of pages of content to learn more. They're going to opt in for something or they're going to buy something. They hit your Instagram. If they're just scrolling around, they're learning more. If they bounce, they bounce. If they follow you, they opt in. And if they click through to something, they're typically buying something. They're investing further. Does that make sense? There's only one of four things that people can do. And so for me, if I'm a realtor and I meet somebody and in the first five minutes, I realize that they're six months away from being ready to even look at their first home. My question is, how can I help them become ready over the next six months so that their only choice of a realtor is me? And then any friends that they meet in the process they only recommend me. And I'm like, well, what are they going to need? They're going to need bank statements. They're going to need to know what to do. They're going to need to not open any credits, not apply for any car loans. Why would I wait six months to tell them that when they're going to go jump into the pool of shitty realtors, they're going to try to pressure them. I can do this now. And so if I meet somebody and I know that as long as I have a path or a track or a program for them that empowers them and sets them up to win, I'm empowering them to be more of my client. If I meet somebody that's maybe actively looking, what could I give them to help them be there, right? And so we start to think about these things in relationships. And so, you know, for me, everybody always goes into one of those buckets. So on my iPhone, right, the three buckets that I support people in are mindset, customer journey, and relationships, right? But like my big three, the ones that people always want to learn from me about is like having a bulletproof mindset. How do you do email marketing to get 80% open rates? And what the fuck is a customer journey, right? Those are my three, right? The mindset one, I can basically get anybody, right? Like any single human. And so for me, anybody who comes to me with a problem in one of those buckets, I have a Google document with a resource that will solve a problem in each of those buckets. One for mindset, one for customer journey, and then one for email, right? For each of those buckets, I also have a lead magnet that teaches them the content and takes them on a journey for three days, five days, six days, and gives them the next step. And then under each of those, I have an offer that fits. And so like for me, there's like 86 Delta flight attendants using my pink camel backpack. Every barista in my valley, they play my podcast in every coffee shop in my valley, 14 of them. They all listen. 
every single human I meet is my fucking customer. I don't care who you are. It's just a matter of when. And so my job is to make sure that whenever I meet somebody that I always have a next step for them that gets them closer to their goal, not my goal. It just so happens as a byproduct, it's always my goal when I help them reach their goal. And so with Shoshana, where most people are like, oh, we met, we're not ready. Well, we hired a dedicated employee to help navigate people through those phases, even if they're working with another firm. So I currently have people helping people prep paperwork to go to another brokerage. And you know what's going to happen the moment that brokerage doesn't respond to an email or doesn't respond to a text message or drops the ball? We're good. I got you. Right? I've got you. Irregardless. I help more of my enemies in the marketing industry's like ecosystem. I help more of their customers implement their content better than they do. Hmm. I'm not trying to poach you. I just want to love you. If you happen to jump ship, that's completely fine. I don't want you to jump ship. Like I just genuinely want to help. And so part of the most important part that makes this helpful is you have to be congruent in your language from the second you say it. And if you really want to win this game, to win as a realtor, you either have to meet people and be like, I'm not interested in helping you. I'm only interested in the transaction, so call me in six months. Or if you say, I'm interested in helping you find the home of your dreams, you do what it takes to make that a reality for them, not try to make them fit into your reality of what that looks like. Yeah. I love that part of it because if someone comes to you as a realtor, for example, and they're like, we want to buy in six months out, the sales side of you says, okay, follow up with them eventually. But it's your responsibility if you want to build a relationship to have something that they can fit into right now that nurtures them for yes. six months where they feel yeah. like they're involved with you until they're ready. So nothing else. And I'm going to give a little tip for this because people are going to, I know somebody said, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do for six months? <laughs> no, I, I'm so sick of it. Shut the fuck up. Okay. No, the secret to leadership is managing expectation. Exactly. Yep. That's all it is. So a six-month follow-up is not, I'm going to touch base with them every single day. It could be, hey, I'm going to send you this today, and I'm going to also follow up with you in 30 days. And in the interim, if you need anything, here's how to get a hold of me. You won't be hearing from me. Yeah. That is the same exact thing because I have made a crystal clear expectation of exactly what it looks like. Yeah. Right? People lose because they live in ambiguity. They're afraid to lead, right? They're afraid to say the truth. And so they end up with all these open loops that take all their fucking mental capacity and they don't even know what to do, right? And for me, leadership is simple. In relationships, you can either be leading or following. Somebody always is. And if you're not leading, somebody is. And it's your decision to take over that or not. And the way that I think about leadership, and I'll summarize this down to a fortune cookie, you give a man a fish or you teach him how to fish, right? That's the core premise of what this is. So if I meet you, John, and I'm like, Hey, I know you're interested in buying a home in six months. Don't worry. I'll handle all of this for you. I'll text you in a week and in two weeks and boom, boom, boom. Am I giving you a fish or am I teaching you how to fish? You're giving, I'm giving you a fish, you a fish right? Yeah. And then here's what's funny. I'm creating a bigger liability on me and I'm creating a codependent relationship between me and my client. Yeah. Right. But if I say, Hey, Here's what you're going to have to do over the next six months that I laid out in this document. When you get here, do this, do this. And I can only answer any questions, but this is on you. I'd have it done in the next 30 days. Then I'm handing them a fish because here's the best part. If I follow up in 30 days and then they haven't done any of it, I'm not going to make them feel bad and wrong. I'm going to say, oh, what got in the way? And now I learned more about their fear or their situation, or I learned I don't want to work with them. 
great. I'll help them anyways and make a recommendation. Who's in my pocket? Who do I know, right? I am put in this position that at that moment in junction, I can then make the next best decision for what's there. And so it really boils down to understanding that like as a core human principle, like deeper than any of this, when was the last time you took out your credit card and paid for something when you were like, I feel very unsafe right now. Let me pay for this. (laughs) Very rarely. Never. Never. So when was the last time somebody committed to working with a realtor or choosing who's going to sell or buy their home when they felt unsafe? No, never. I don't give a fuck about your points, about your production, about who your fucking brokerage is. I care that you hear me as a person because this is one of the biggest top three decisions of my life for me and just your job for you. Meet me there and you'll have me forever. But you have to have somewhere to meet people. That's not having a Facebook group. It's, it's meaning that you stand for something, that you belong to something, you believe in something that isn't just about closing a fucking home. Yeah. That isn't just about getting production. Like one of my clients is the fastest growing EXP, you know, recruiter in the world. And the only reason is, is because all he does is invest every fucking ounce of his time in people. Yeah. And he outsources everything else. He is on calls 12 hours a day for free with people. And I was like, oh, I want to be like Mike. And I'm like, do you? Because there's one way, right? And so you can't advocate it. Just like if you have kids and they miss you and you upset them, the only thing they want is your presence. If you have a spouse and they're not feeling good, the only thing they want is your presence. If you have somebody who's about to make the biggest fucking buying decision of their life and they're upset or you're upset because they've looked at seven homes and you're frustrated, get out of your own fucking way because you're not really interested in helping them if you're getting frustrated. It's their first time buying a home and this is your like 17th lap around the rodeo. So find some humanity. How can you help them? Right. And so it's easy for me now because I've been doing this for so long, but I'm going to make a book recommendation and, and, and and I'm going to, I'm going to say this one like this. If entrepreneurs don't read this book once a year, they don't want to be in business. The end, like the end, the book is called the go-giver by Bob Berg and David Mann. Yeah. That's really good one. I have a question for you, George. Out of the three pillars you said of your business that you're doing yep. the coaching, uh, sorry, the mindset, the customer service, and then the email. Customer journey customer and then relationships, story. yep. Which one would you say is the the one that you enjoy mindset. the most? All right, mindset. I that. So in mindset, one thing that you actually shared when John asked the question in terms of like how you correlated it, you went straight to philosophy and that's Jim Rohn's thing with the foundation of the philosophies where everything changes. How did you get to that point where you have a full understanding of this? Oh, I don't have a full understanding. I'm like or, 1% or, of the way, where bro. you're at. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think um, what a great question. And I want to I want to say something. My favorite thing is mindset. The most powerful thing is relationships. Yeah. Right. Because like in in my relationship bucket, the thing that I'm bullish on is the relationship with yourself. Right. Like that is the thing that I obsess over in teaching is like this integrous relationship with yourself, which is where in application the rubber meets the road more than anything. But like I'm obsessed with like how my brain works because of all the trauma I've experienced. And I think I'm like a fucking science experiment that somebody should make a movie about. And so like (laughs) I'm obsessed because I feel like I live inside of like multiple movies, like that split personality movie in like a straight jacket. And like, I'm allowed to talk to the public and like there's 8 million things going on for what I share with you. So like I obsess about mindset. Right. So I'm so annoyed because I sound like such a fucking broken record and, and, and I understand the most effective and valuable things are the simple repeatable things. But the true piece that made me see it and understand it was my willingness to sit with my stillness practice to allow myself the space to see it, right? So the way that I look at this is 
this philosophy piece or these levels piece, right? Like for me, most of my career, most of my life was I would be really emotional triggered and I would respond, right? I'd immediately go into the opposite behavior, right? And then the next level of that growth was being triggered and not going into the behavior, right? And then the next part was like, okay, what is this thing, right? And there's all these like levels of like unhealing trauma, right? Or these levels. And so to get to being triggered in like one of the hardest situations in your life and being able to immediately go to philosophy, you have to read the first nine Harry Potter books first. <laughs> and so there's, there's no like skipping the line, right? So the, the process is there. It's the more that you choose to lean into it, the faster you understand the mindset piece, right? And so if your frame, right, and it depends on your, your teaching frame, right? But if, if everybody listening or you're in agreement that the best place for you to be is in conscious awareness to then choose your next behavior, like pick your path to get there, whether it's spirituality, consciousness, and a, a fucking breath work, I don't care. Yeah. The moment you recognize that like you have control and ability to make decisions, right? You win. So if you use the Eisenhower matrix, which is unconsciously incompetent, consciously incompetent, Unconsciously competent and consciously competent, that's basically the levels of what this is. So in the very beginning, when you're triggered and you're reacting, you are unconsciously incompetent. You don't know what's happening, right? The moment you start recognizing like, oh my God, I'm totally triggered and reacting right now, you become consciously incompetent because you have an awareness of it, but you haven't changed the behavior. But in that point, you choose a new behavior. Once you choose a new behavior, you become consciously incompetent because it's messy as fuck, right? And you're yeah. going to lose more than you win. And then when it becomes integrated, you become consciously competent, which is when you start to see it. So for example, if you think about some of the things that you guys handle in business right now, right? Like if you have agents you talk to or even as business partnerships, when you guys have a disagreement, now you can probably have a disagreement and instantly be like, oh yeah, it's this, it's this. And you're like, yeah, totally fine. But the first time three years ago, probably felt like your whole life was going to end. You're like, I don't want to have this conversation. I don't know what's there. Yeah. You couldn't even see it because you didn't have an awareness. So you had to go through the phases. But now that you've practiced it, when you have a disagreement, your default is, oh, I'll just talk about it, right? And so you only get the awareness when you actually get the awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's no studying. There's no reading. Right. So the way that I look at it, it's like, oh, if you want a six pack, great. Look in the mirror when you're done with your training program because it's not going to magically appear when you stare at it. Right. Yeah. And so the, this thing that I'm so bullish on is this like awareness piece. It's this pause piece. It's the wedge. Right. Like that's all it is. And, and you pick your teaching. Right. When I did my combat lifesaver course when we're in the military and we're, we're doing trauma, like real trauma work, we have to do it on live species to do this. But they intentionally trick you. They will blow off the leg of something, but then also block its airway so you can't see it, hoping that when you come up, you're so overwhelmed with the blood and the gore and you try to put a tourniquet on that they die because they can't breathe because you didn't follow priority and you didn't triage the situation. Yeah. Right. So they put these traps in because it's so easy to see that. But any trained paramedic that knows that situation knows the first thing Check to do everything. is to pause yeah. to check for breathing, to assess the situation, right? We don't do that as entrepreneurs. We just tend to go straight for the wound. And so whatever that is for you, there's this model I teach on my podcast in my model. I call it my SOS model, right? And so basically it's the inner tools, the inner circle, and the outer tools. The inner tools is the most important part. This is anything that you can do that pattern interrupts you out of your current state, right? So if you're sitting at your laptop and your best fucking client just fired you and you're losing a hundred grand, 
I promise you nothing you touch with those fingers is going to help your business. I promise. Like you should basically get removed from the game room, right? So we know that, right? But what ends up happening is we don't have a way to get out of it. Mm. So we stay stuck in it or we ruminate or we look for evidence, right? But if I was like, if you had that, John, and I was like, all right, cool, go for a 20 minute run. Would you come back as emotional or on tilt as you did when you left? There's no no way. No. It's fucking impossible, right? And so the inner tools is anything you have at your disposal to pattern interrupt. So breath work, dancing, music, walking, working out, playing with your kids, throwing a ball, doing pull-ups, like anything that's out of your current bucket. The goal is when you recognize that you have no emotional control, you don't try to, you go to your plan to regain presence. And so the inner tools is anything you have at your disposal that you can get to within a minute or five minutes that you can do for 10 to 15 minutes that will reset you, right? Breath, walking, stillness, you name it. Everybody has their own shooting guns, right? Like I open my back door and I shoot my sniper rifle a thousand yards and I feel better every fucking time. It works like (laughs) a charm, right? But all I'm doing is I'm just looking for the pattern interrupt that gets me out of the emotion or out of the pill bottle into perspective. That's it, right? So if the inner circle doesn't work, what I do is I set a 15-minute timer, and I have 15 minutes to go through my inner circle, right? Breath, stillness. If at 15 minutes it doesn't work, I go to my inner circle. My inner circle are the top, up to the top nine people in my life that hold me accountable to my potential but don't believe my story. Hold me accountable to my potential that don't believe my story. So you know on your iPhone, in your messages, you have your top nine? Yep. Who do you think my top nine are? Your inner circle. My inner circle. When you open the notes on my phone, the pinned note is my SOS procedure so that if I'm ever triggered, I don't have to think about it. And then if you look at the background of my phone, one is a picture of my kids and the second one is a picture of my wife the day I met her. And so even my phone, when I'm triggered and in tilt, the first thing I see is my two kids. The second thing I see when I unlock it is my wife. And if I'm in tilt, all I do is open the notes and I know exactly what to do. So the inner circle is the nine people that hold me accountable. So I brief them. I'm like, hey, you're in my inner circle. So if I'm ever stuck, I'm going to reach out. I'm just going to say inner circle and you'll know what I'm talking about. And then at that 15 minute mark, I'll reach out. I've never made it past my inner circle for more than five minutes without them checking me on my bullshit or giving me clarity. Cause I'm like, hey, I'm stuck here. I don't have this. And I remember one specific example. I got hit with a, a copyright infringement lawsuit in my backpack company. And I got the email from my attorney. And it was expensive. And I was like, my business partner's going to lose his farmhouse, his wife. We just bought the car. Like I was on fucking full tilt for like 36 hours, right? I didn't change my calendar. I took two business calls, both $100,000 intensives. Those are the first two deals I'd ever closed. Mm. And I was on tilt. So I lost both those deals. The next day I was still on tilt. I couldn't figure it out. And so I called my wife and my wife's like, have you called your attorney? And I'm like, no. And so she hung up on me and I called my attorney And he picked up the phone and he's like, are you calling me about that stupid copyright thing? Like, yeah, he's like, I handled it yesterday. You don't have to pay anything. Yeah. And I was like, fuck off. (laughs) And it hurt, man. But but we all do that though. You you know, you overreact. And I say it it. now because in hindsight, the reason I built models around myself is so it can't happen anymore. Because all my success is from protecting those moments from happening, right? So I say I never want to create permanent undesirable results based on temporary feelings. Yeah. Right. And so so when I really, really think about that, now I know it's really easy for me to see when I'm triggered. Right. Because I'm like, oh, my God, I'm emotional. Great. I go to my inner, my inner tools. If that doesn't work, I go to my inner circle. 
And if that doesn't work, my outer circle is a series of experts or skills that might be needed. So my attorney, my copyright person, that agency, whoever. And typically my inner circle directs me on who to call to my outer circle. Lindsay's like, call your attorney. I'm like, oh fuck, I should have put him in the outer circle, outer circle, (laughs) right? And so then I know even on my worst days, if I get hit with the biggest atomic bomb, I'm 25 minutes max away from being able to get back into action. Yeah, that's golden. Right, and that's where that consistency comes in because I recognize that if I let that emotion get in the way of those three behaviors that I do every day, I'm gonna let that temporary feeling create permanent undesirable results that I won't catch for 90 days until it's too late. That's great. Because those are the core functions of the business. George, let me ask you this. Have you ever heard of a company or a system called BioCybernaut? I have. So I did BioCybernaut. Have you done it? I haven't, no. Okay. So BioCybernaut is alpha brainwave training classes, and essentially they yep. put you in an alpha brain state, and the philosophy behind it is that you could solve any problem. Uh, yep. I went to a Tony Robbins event, Unleash the Power Within. I, I'm probably yep. saying this wrong. Unleash the Power Within, right? Yeah. UPW. Yeah, UPW. Yep. And then in the event, he was talking about, if you want to level up, go do this BioCybernaut with Dr. George, whatever his name was. Yep. I'm like, yep. I'm going to do it. So then I yep. signed up right away for it. It was $15,000 at the time. And I was just like, that's a lot of money. I went there. Well, they, tell them how old you were. I, this is two, I was like 21, 22. Good job, man. Yeah, I was ballsy. And then they put me in this little cave of a room. It was all purple. And they had like sound proofing things. And they had these audio speakers all around your head. And yep. each part of the electrons were connected to a part of your brain. And every time you'd hit an alpha brainwave, it would release music. So if I cut you, your brain gives feedback to send white blood cells to repair it, but your brain doesn't give it to yourself. Uh-huh. The first three days, it was like therapy almost. And they would, they would just sit you in there. You're in there for 12 plus hours and you, know, you don't know what the hell's going on. And then after that, you start tripping and seeing your own self as a warrior self in front of you, going back uh-huh. in time, resolving all the traumas that they uncovered in the first three days. And mm-hmm. that's almost everything you're talking about is so relative to that, which is insane. And I wanna say this about their strategies and tactics. I have a lot of them. And for realtors, the reason I was so bullish on what I said on that podcast is because if they don't get that piece, the strategies and tactics are ineffective. Like they actually create more damage, yeah. right? Because they, they end up using them with this attachment to like an agenda, right? Of like, yeah. oh, this will get the clothes. This will get the thing. And if I can't just challenge the thought first, it ends up killing them. And every time they get this, it's huge. And so when I stack like, typically when I talk to realtors, I teach them the three biggest mistakes that people make with customer journey. And then the five required steps for everyone. Cause I can teach it through text or phone or in-person relationship. And every time they take them, it's fucking bananas. And it's just literally eight teaching points, three mistakes and five required steps. Now that's I great. feel like I want to know all of it. So you said that you, in the, in the middle, you're yeah, saying that's you called the, the Z- that's called the Zygarnik effect as well. Yeah. And I did that on purpose because now you're going to push harder to have me back and I won't have to schedule it. So that's me leading you into getting what I want. Yes. What's the best way for someone to oh, reach yeah. out? Oh yeah, I forgot we connect? were in the middle of a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best way for someone to connect or reach out? Um, well, it's really easy. You're either in one of two buckets. Uh, if you're in bucket one, you're probably still not listening to this podcast because you think I'm a crack of dog shit and you're welcome. I'll still be here when you come back and I won't say I told you so, but I'll welcome you home. Um, the second part is if you think I'm your slice of crazy, uh, don't worry. I only share the safest parts with you. But the reason I have my podcast, man, is like, that's my legacy. Like I, I, I want to measure my life, not based on my bank account balance or how many people show up in my funeral. Like I want to measure my success for how many people silently show up to support those people I love when I'm no longer here. Right. And I pour every ounce of it into it. So my podcast is my gift back to every entrepreneur. It's everything I get paid to teach and I give it all away for free because I wish somebody gave it to me 15 years ago. And so that will never change. 
I don't have sponsors. I don't run ads and I don't charge money. I give everything I can away on my podcast. We have like 400 episodes, mindset, customer journey, Jim Quick, Steve Sims, celebrity galore. It's all fucking packed with value. So it's called the Mind of George Show. It's at mindofgeorge.com. It is the pinkest website you will ever see. You're welcome. It's <laughs> fucking beautiful. And pink is my favorite color. Uh, but I mean that. And listen, I'm going to say this. If you're listening to this podcast and you have any inclination whatsoever of reaching out, I implore you to trust your judgment and just reach out. My team and I will support you. We do not want your credit card. We want your results. And so let us know how we can help and we will be there to support. Love, Love it. it. Awesome, man. <laughs>